You're listening to teaching from Castle Hills Christian Church in San Antonio, Texas. More information about Castle Hills Christian Church is available at chccsa.com. I'm writing to all who have been called by God the Father, who loves you and keeps you safe in the care of Jesus Christ. May God give you more and more mercy, peace, and love. I always thank God when I remember you in my prayers because I hear of your love and of the faith you have toward Jesus. I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. As someone who's worked with teenagers and young adults for over 20 years, I've had to write my fair share of recommendation letters. And usually these are pretty easy to do. A high school student who's applying for college or someone who's applying for their first job will come to me and say, hey, Richard, can you write a reference for me? Or can I put you down as a reference? And sometimes I have to you know, type something up or sometimes I have to fill out a questionnaire. And usually it's pretty easy to do. All I have to do is just remember the amazing characteristics and qualities, how this person has stepped up and matured and been a leader in our youth ministry and how they volunteered in these different places and highlight these things and put them into a recommendation letter. Other times though, it's a little bit more challenging because you wanna be honest in your recommendation letter, but you also want the person to get the job. So sometimes you have to be a little more creative and think a little more deeply about, you know, what are the amazing characteristics this person has? If you've ever been someone who hires someone for a position, you know it's a huge red flag if someone doesn't have a couple of references from an educator, a former employer, or a, you know, a religious leader who can say some amazing things about them, if they can't even find those kind of references, it's probably a red flag. Today, we're finishing out our New Testament postcard series by looking at what we call the letter of 3 John. And 3 John is essentially a letter of recommendation for a person named Demetrius. It's the shortest letter in all the New Testament, and it comes from someone called the elder. And tradition tells us that this person is the same one who wrote 1st and 2nd and then 3rd John, the text we're looking at today, and also the Gospel of John, that is the beloved disciple and the close follower of Jesus. These, all these texts have a lot of language and imagery in common. They seem to come from the same source, and they go back to this tradition of being from the Apostle John, who also helped establish churches and became a leader for churches in the region of Ephesus. And these were a series of home churches for the most part. And he provided leadership and support for these churches after he helped to establish Christian churches in this region. And so he's writing this letter to an individual 
who's involved in his churches, probably in Ephesus, a person named Gaius. And we don't know exactly who Gaius was. Gaius is one of the most common names in the Roman world. Uh, but he's writing to Gaius to recommend someone named Demetrius to him. Now, most of this recommendation letter doesn't actually list the amazing characteristics and qualities that Demetrius has, but instead it's an explanation for why this type of letter is necessary and why it should be listened to. The book only has one chapter, and so we're going to look at a couple of verses and not read the whole thing, but you easily could do that. You could read the whole chapter and get the entire book from cover to cover. But we're going to pull out a couple of verses and see what it is that's going on in the life of these Christians and why this letter exists. We're going to start in verse 5 and go to verse 8. Beloved, it is a faithful thing that you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testify to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God, for they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these, that, they, that we may be fellow workers for the truth. There's this interesting paradox that's introduced here, this idea that the people who are going out are both family, they're called brothers, but they're also strangers. And it's interesting that John says these people, even though you don't know them, are your family. And as a result, we're supposed to treat them in a manner worthy of God. Well, what is it that these people need? Why is it that they need us to treat them in a certain way and to do certain things for them? Well, we were told in verse 7 that they have accepted nothing from the Gentiles. This is probably unbelieving Gentiles in the places where they are going to preach the gospel, to share the truth, to do kingdom work, and to start churches. And John tells us here that when they've gone out, they've not taken any money or resources from the places where they're going to start these churches and to work and teach in these churches. This is very similar to Paul's model of church planting. He would go from town to town and region to region. And after he's established a church in an area, he may come back and ask them to support his work so that he doesn't have to be a burden on the people where he's going to share the gospel and to start churches. Sometimes he would even take up a secular job, we might say. He would be a tent maker and he would do this day job so that he could support the work of the church without having to be a burden on the people who he's sharing his faith with. He even talks about this in the letter to 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 12. He says, we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. So back in our letter, 3 John, John says that we ought to support people who are doing this kind of work. Well, why is it they need support? Well, for the first 300 years or so of the church existing, churches primarily met in people's homes, and they were heavily dependent on hospitality. And especially when you were traveling as a missionary, as a church planter, as a teacher in the church, you were dependent on people opening their homes and feeding you and giving you a place to stay. There wasn't a lot of inns and hotels in the ancient world. You couldn't just roll up to a holiday inn. In fact, most of the inns that existed were not great places to be. And so they depended on people opening their homes and feeding them and providing for them while they were there. 
And this is the same model that Jesus used when he sent out his disciples. We read about this in Luke chapter 10, where he tells people, his people to go out into the homes, stay wherever they're accepted, to put the food that's put in front of them, and just stay and enjoy the time with those people, eat whatever's put in front of them. And while they're there, they're supposed to heal the sick and tell them that the kingdom of God has come near to them. So these preachers would travel from town to town. They would share the good news that the kingdom of God was at hand and they would heal sick and, and they would spend time with people and they would find a place to stay and enjoy the hospitality of the home. And in the ancient world, hospitality often included generous provisions for the guests even as they were leaving. Something like you could think of like a food for the road or money for the road. When I was uh, in Bible college, I had a part-time youth ministry in a little town called Chocowinity. And during the summers, I would stay in Chocowinity. And oftentimes I'd be at the office around lunchtime and I'd get a phone call from Miss Dorley Walker who lived across the street from the church building. And she would usually say something like, do you have any lunch plans? Do you wanna come over and get a sandwich? Now you need to understand that with Miss Dorley, when she said a sandwich, she didn't mean a sandwich. I would come over to her house and she would have leftovers from the night before. It was usually a ham or a turkey or something like that. She would make a sandwich out of it, but then there would be four or five or six side items and two or three desserts. And you know, I would eat a plate full of food and she'd go, oh, don't you want some more? And I, I would eat some more and then she'd, here, take some home with you and here's some pie for the road. You're gonna get hungry this afternoon. I'm pretty sure that I put on my freshman 15 every time I went over to her house because she just loved to feed people. One of the things I've noticed though is that in our culture, hospitality seems to be a lost art. People don't know how to open their homes up and be generous and be warm and welcoming, how to spend time with people and how to encourage and support them. But what's interesting is John tells Gaius here, he says, when you do this, when you open up your home, when you open up your table, when you support these type of workers, you are fellow workers with them in the truth. In other words, we can be part of what they are doing simply by being warm and welcoming and generous to them when we encounter them. One of the things I love about our church family, about Castle Hills Christian Church, is that we support kingdom workers. Over 17% of every penny that's come in here over the last year has gone out to support partnering organizations, both in San Antonio and around the world, who are doing amazing kingdom work. We have strategic partnerships with organizations like Mustard Seed Network, who is in Japan, one of the hardest to reach countries in the world, and they're planting churches in Japan. In addition to that over 17% that we've given out toward partnering organizations, we've raised additional funds to start churches specifically in Tokyo over the last two years, and we are continuing to partner with them. But one of the things I want you to think about today is, is it enough that the church I participate with is generous and hospitable and supporting of kingdom workers. Is that enough? Because I want you to remember that this is not a letter that we're reading that was written to a church. It's not a letter that was written to a whole group of churches or all Christians in general. It's addressed to a specific person. This has been described as the most personal letter in all of the Bible. And I think it's important for us to ask the question, am I, is my family, is my network of friends, are we being supportive and hospitable to kingdom workers? This was a personal letter written to an individual being asked to open his home and to support kingdom workers. And there's power in hospitality and support. 
you don't always have to be the one on the front line to make a difference because when we partner with kingdom workers, when we support kingdom workers, when we are aligned and generous with kingdom workers and we're hospitable to them, we are fellow workers in the truth. But not everyone lived this way. The reason John had to write this letter is because some people were not being open and generous and hospitable toward these kingdom workers. In verses 9 and 10, it says, I have written something to the church, but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. So if I come, I will bring up what he is doing, talking wicked nonsense against us. And not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who want to and puts them out of the church. Diotrephes here is selfish. We're told that he puts himself first. And the way he does this is by refusing to open his home and to be generous with his food, his money, and his resources. And he also stops people who want to do that themselves. My guess is that Diotrephes was the leader of a home church or a small community, a faith community. And he was telling the people in his group, you're not welcoming those people. I don't know if this was over a theological disagreement or if there was uh, some sort of relational tension or some sort of power struggle. All of these are imaginable. If you've ever been around church for a while, you know that all of these happen. But for some reason, Diotrephes had closed his doors and was no longer welcoming and supporting these strangers who were coming around doing kingdom work. He put himself first. And the message of 3 John is don't be diatrophies. Instead, be welcoming, be generous, be open, and be a partner in what God is doing in your community. Verse 11 says this, Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God, but whoever does evil has not seen God. Actions speak louder than words. We have a role to play in kingdom work. You may not be a missionary in Japan on the front line starting new churches and unreached groups, but you can be the person who opens up your home, who writes encouraging letters, who provides food and resources and support for those who are. And when we do this, what we're really doing is we're following the model of generosity set for us by God.
We're excited to know that some of you are ready to take some next steps in your faith journey. We want to come alongside you, support you, and equip you through this process. CHCCSA.info is your central hub for all next steps. If you want to submit a prayer request, talk to someone about getting baptized and giving your life to Jesus, or you're looking for a place to serve or a place to get connected to our church, CHCCSA.info is a great place to start for all these next steps. Some of you call Castle Hills Christian Church your home. And if that's you and you want to continue to partner with us financially as we serve both here in San Antonio and around the world, you can go to give.chccsa.com or you can text the message GIVE to the number 210-903-5440. Thank you for your support. We're so glad that you're here today and we hope to see you next week.